Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you here. An honor and a privilege. Oh boy, we've got a lot to talk about today. I mean, I guess that's true almost every day. Some days we just hang out, but a lot, lot to discuss today. Uh, give you a sense of where we are going on this uh, fantastic journey into uh, the news cycle, into principles, political debate, freedom, liberty, all that good stuff. Uh, we will be discussing the massive Uber hack. This is yet another instance of an enormous technology company with a tremendous amount of personal data on tens of millions of people. I am a frequent Uberer, I guess. is that I don't know what you call it. And whatever, keep in mind, Uber means fast in German. So like Uber, yeah, guten Tag, yeah. So Uber means fast, um, for those who didn't know. And Uber, though, has had a 57 million, 57 million uh, exposed through a hack. So I'll get into that. And it's a very interesting story. This, this digital world that is increasingly dominating commerce and our day-to-day lives Securing it is going to become one of the biggest, not just biggest challenges, one of the most important things we can do uh, with our efforts and uh, with our resources and time. And so we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, We will also discuss how the diversity apparatus or the apparatchiks who are pushing for diversity on college campuses, they got a tough fight on their hands. The Trump DOJ. Is making things a little bit harder for them. We'll discuss that with you. And then also an update on the tyrant of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, because I mentioned that to you before. Uh, and I have some other stuff, too. We'll finish the show with Team Buck Speaks. But I, I, cannot, I cannot lead the show with anything other than the biggest news stories in the country right now, which are all around the, what you'd have to call the, the great... Uh, sex abuse purge of 2017. This is this is a phenomenon that, that there's more information that comes out day in and uh, and day out about this. Given how much we already know, it is it is stunning. And here's what I would say: we've all known, and I'll, I'm going to get into some of the specifics in a moment. But I, I try to I mull this over and well. Because I'm always thinking about this radio show. I mull this over in my free time, which my free time is spent thinking about radio. Uh, and that, and here's what I've what I, one of the things that I've come to. And there's look, there's a lot to discuss here, and a lot of back and forth to be had on the issue of the sex abuse allegations, sexual harassment, all of it. Right. But we've known 
that this that this stuff goes on for a long time. We've been well aware of it. There's laws against it because of that. There are civil suits. There have been high, plenty of high profile cases stretching back for decades. Right. And powerful men using their position to try and uh, induce, coerce or force sex from women has also been around for a very, very long time. What I think is so interesting or so different maybe now, two thoughts I have on this before I get into the specific, because there's more. Oh, there's more. If you don't know, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that I'm about to drop some names here on air. You'll be like, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's more. And two things. One is that the the uh, systematic suppression of these stories that has gone on for a long time is incredible. Mean, I don't mean from the media, although that is true sometimes, but the people that were around the abusers in many of these cases were so invested in keeping this stuff quiet and keeping that person in their prominent role, right? That, that they are so attached to power, these, and I mean the people around the abusers, that none of this would have been possible without that venality, without that cowardice. Because we're not talking about, I mean, you see these stories, Charlie Rose and, uh, and you know, the, the Kevin Spacey stuff and, and the Weinstein stuff, and I can't even, I mean, you look at the, the New York Times is keeping a running log of all the guys, you know, the Ratner. You, you go through the accusations. You're just like, this is it is a purge. It is a a uh, systematic expulsion of sex harassers and sex abusers that's going on. So on the one hand, I just I am struck by how many enablers are involved. And I think the enablers deserve more. uh I mean, public shaming might be a tough way of saying it, but the enablers deserve more blame. <laughs> they really do. Uh, they're a lot of them are escaping with a lot of. Oh, I didn't know. I tweeted out first thing this morning um, that the co-hosts on uh, Charlie Rose's show, Charlie Rose, the, is the latest big media figure to, and he's been fired. He's toast, terminated, out. He did it. Okay, he's guilty. But. I tweeted this morning, I'm sorry, given the stories that were, were heard about Charlie Rose or given the details in that Washington Post piece, which I I will rarely tell you that, oh, you got to read this Washington Post thing. You got to read the Charlie Rose Washington Post thing. If nothing else, so you become familiar with, did you, did you, did you guys see this one? The Krusty Paw. They call it the Krusty Paw when he comes up behind a woman that works for him. And starts rubbing her shoulders, grabbing her thigh. Yeah, I mean, you guys are looking. I know. I want to vomit, too. It is appalling. The crusty paw. Ugh. What a disgrace. I mean, it is hard to fathom. And then in, in his statement, too. Oh, I thought this was, you know, I thought what he said in the statement was basically, I thought maybe they were into it. You know, I thought some of that was part of his statement, too, which is, which is astonishing. That this guy, who was like a glorified TV version of the Crypt Keeper, as far as I'm concerned, that this guy was uh, up there and, and thinking that he could grab at women. And I mean, it is just disgusting. And I feel really badly for a lot of the women that were involved here. I really do. 
Because I know what it's like. I started a career in media seven years ago. Man, it is hard. People are terrible to you. You're so replaceable. No one, you know, there's some places with better cultures, better corporate cultures than others. But, you know, you're really always reminded of where you are in the hierarchy, you know. And and it wasn't like, you know, when I was in the CIA, there was at least, hey, look, everyone who's here is, you know, has come for the mission and wants to serve their country. There was a basic underlying respect and really, honestly, a pretty profound respect that we all had for each other in the agency. And so this is also I mean, I'm coming from a place where in the federal government, any sexual harassment stuff was dealt with. If it became known by anybody, there are rules that you have to report it. And the federal government has really deep pockets, so they're very concerned about massive lawsuits. So I I came from a world where I'm not saying this stuff didn't happen. It clearly happens in the federal bureaucratic service. It definitely happens with elected officials, and we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, But it was just very it was very different. Uh, I think the scale and the frequency of sexual harassment, and sexual abuse at a place like the CIA, just speaking from my experience, it would you never see anything like Hollywood. I mean, you'd never see anything like you're seeing with some of these Capitol Hill stories, some of these politicians. Uh, it just wouldn't have it just wouldn't have gone because the moment that anybody heard a rumor who was in the who was in the uh, command chain and didn't say something, they're liable. Their job is now at stake, too. So they have no choice. That's the way the regulations work there. Uh, so compare that to Charlie Rose and his staff and this morning, his co-hosts, oh, you know, we didn't know, and we're so sad about Charlie. I, I did see later on, I, I tweeted it out, and, and then I was pleased to see that uh, the, the one and only, uh, the, the, great, the great man himself, Rush Limbaugh, also was like, no way these ladies didn't know something. So I was like, well, if I think no way and Rush thinks no way, there's definitely no way they didn't know. And it's just, you know, this is, it's cowardice. People want... People want to be friends with Charlie Rose. They wanted jobs from Charlie Rose. They didn't want to rock the boat. And they didn't care enough about the women who he really humiliated them. I mean, some of what was described in that Washington Post piece from Charlie Rose with his, you know, his crusty claw or crusty paw, whatever, uh, some of what was described was sexual assault. I mean, grabbing a woman's hands and putting them in your pants while she's crying and trying to get away is sexual assault. That's not harassment in the workplace. So this is why CBS and, and PBS have had you know no choice but to immediately sever all ties to this guy. And I'll spare you, for now at least, another part of this conversation for me, which is, why was Charlie Rose, why was this person inflicted upon all of us? He was pompous. He was nasty. I've been hearing for years, and I'm not somebody who's plugged into the... Uh, the Charlie Rose set. But I've been hearing for years, he's not a nice guy. And also, uh, I heard weird stories about him. Now you say, well, Buck, why didn't you do something? I heard stories third hand from other people in media that I, I had no way of verifying and, you know, who knows, right? But I heard stuff. And if I was hearing stuff about Charlie Rose years ago, trust me, his co-hosts on, C- on CBS, they knew. And it's just so pathetic. Oh, we would have never, you know, we're so grossed out and we would have never allowed this. Uh Uh-uh. Because, and remember, people like that, these morning co-hosts at CBS, they're getting paid millions of dollars, all right? You know, they're not not worried about paying the mortgage if Charlie Rose retaliates against them. They're going to be just fine. 
There's also a power imbalance with the whistleblowers, right? There's a power imbalance that we should keep in mind for those who can speak out and don't and have the power to. You know, it's one thing, you know, for example, I mean, I was at, uh, I was an intern at CBS Evening News. I mean, they were mean to me, but nothing, it was like no, I didn't know of anything that was legally actionable, but they were very nasty to me there. Uh, And I would say that if I knew about an anchor there, unspecified, but if I knew about an anchor there engaged in misconduct and I say something, I may never get a job in media again and I may, I'll get, maybe get fired. But if another anchor who's already a multimillionaire and has an established brand speaks out, guess what? They're going to be okay. So there's a particular cowardice when the powerful, when those who have the ammunition, so to speak, refuse to use it because it's easy for them. And I really want you to remember that as all these sexual harassment allegations come out, you should make the distinction between, you know, was this an executive assistant who knew something and didn't say something? I, you know, I, I think you give leeway there. You know, that, that man or woman is trying to pay bills and, you know, it's tough. You know, I know what it's like to go to your, to go to the ATM and, and, and not really have any money in it. You know, I know what it's like to owe money and say, how am I going to pay this? And it's scary. It's not fun. So, there's those people. And then there's the morning host with Charlie. Oh, we thought Charlie was so great and he was such a lovely guy. Please, please. I was hearing stories years ago about how his staff would have to go and pull him out of bed. Was he totally clothed? Was he not? Hey, sure you can figure that one out. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's appalling, too. All these phonies, these social justice, leftist, preachy, sanctimonious phonies you know more should be expected from them if you have a platform at one of the major networks if you are very highly paid and have been for a long time and you're just too much of a wimp male or female too much of a wimp to speak out about young girls being being subjected to this grasping predator time and time again you should be ashamed of yourself so that's i want to make sure that we get that on the record here because there's not nearly enough outrage at, you know, in the Washington Post piece, they talk about his executive producer telling these young women, oh, you know, that's just Charlie being Charlie. Really? Because I can tell you this, if uh, Charlie had ever tried some of that nonsense with Miss Molly, the least of his problems would be him getting fired. So I, I don't want to let people just get away with this stuff like, oh, yeah, we didn't know. They're lying. They're lying because they're media cowards. They have a lot of money and power. They don't want to see it go away. And ultimately, it's not about speaking truth to power for them. It's about them. It's about their careers, and it's about protecting what's best for their short-term interests. There is such a lack of, and this is across the board with the left-wing media, such a lack of integrity and honor. I'm not saying everybody, but a broad scale across the board. Oh, yeah. A deficit of honor among media types on the left. And that's played into uh, to a lot of this. So I haven't even, I'm sorry, I got a little fired up there. I haven't even gotten into the fact that the Disney chief creative officer is in trouble. Uh, he's had to take a leave now among, quote, missteps. Hmm, I wonder what those were. And then you have other Democrat members of Congress who are getting some heat. And then also Trump weighed in on Roy Moore today. We will get into all of this this hour, friends. We have a lot to get to. Just stay with me through this break. I'll be right back. Welcome back, team. Uh, 844-900-2825. I would note 
that there are a uh, whole bunch of... Oh, oh, we have that audio? I was going to get into some of the D.C. stuff. But first, I mentioned those morning show co-hosts on CBS with... Uh, what's his name? Charlie Rose. Here's what they said this morning. Gail, I know you and I have talked a lot about yes, this. And have. it takes a lot of courage for these women to come forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that they should continue to do something to, to we do hope so that they will continue to speak up yeah um i also want to say this that this is a moment that demands a frank and honest assessment about where we stand and more generally the safety of women let me be very clear there is no excuse for this alleged behavior it is systematic and pervasive and i've been doing a lot of listening and i'm going to continue to do that this i know is true Women cannot achieve equality in the workplace or in society until there is a reckoning and a taking of responsibility. Nice speech, Nora O'Donnell, but why didn't you do anything about it when it mattered? Why why was this up for the Washington Post to have to go to, I think it was eight different sources, three on the record, five who didn't want to be named for fear of reprisals? Which I should note is still a fear even after the abuser is taken down because the group around the abuser will often look for a little vengeance down the line. They don't forget, you know, because ah, they, they, they like their they like their fat paychecks and their privileged positions. Right. They don't want that to go away. doesn't matter that Charlie Rose was humiliating and degrading young women for, for everybody. This is decades. OK. This stretches back into the 1990s, and it's woman after woman after woman. Those are just the ones that we know about. Once you've had a slew of these accusations come out, you can be sure, and and there's a pattern, and there's a clear, she will use the word systemic. You know what was systemic? How Charlie Rose tried to grope, grab, harass, and assault young women who worked for him, who were in his direct employ, and whose futures he held in the business in his hand. That was systematic. It was premeditated. And when you look at the different accounts from women, it was the same thing. He would find a young, vulnerable woman who had, you know, very limited, you know, very limited experience. And it's as I said, in the beginnings, you know, you get fired from your first job in media. You may never get another one. It's a it's an unfair. It's a look, I'll tell you, it's a crappy business. I always tell people who want to do this. I'm like, they're like, Buck, why did you do it? Why didn't you go to grad school? I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of nuts. But apart from that, Charlie Rose set this up time and time again, and people knew about it. His staff knew about it, and you cannot tell me in a workplace day in and day out with people who know this that the anchors, who are the ones that I really hold the most responsible other than Charlie Rose for not stopping this because they're famous, they're rich, they could have done something, but they didn't want to. How much did they know? I don't know. But don't li- don't tell don't act like we're all stupid anchors. It's not just with Charlie Rose, there's others as well. Don't act like we're all stupid and pretend like you didn't know anything. Please. I knew about Charlie Rose being a creep before I even worked in media. All right, we'll talk about Judge Moore coming up. Stay with me. How slippery a slope is it? I mean, again, I'm just speaking as somebody who spent 15 years of her life working on Wall Street. But if we're going to start to go after everyone in every power industry for something like a butt slap, I'm worried that there's going to be no one left running anything. That was Stephanie 
uh, Rule on MSNBC, speaking about the whole Al Franken situation, uh, which is getting worse because it, it wasn't just the group. Now we've also got a, we got Franken doing a butt grab up in, uh, I forget what the state was, at a fair or something when he was running for, I think he was running for office at the time. Uh, so, and the interestingly enough, you, ha- you have all these women that come out today with signatures saying that, oh, Al Franken was fine to them. You know, uh, the, the left is realizing that they have created something here, a kind of uh, sex abuse purge that they can't necessarily control where this goes. And if they're going to run with this and be happy to tell the stories when it affects certain individuals, it's going to affect others that they weren't planning on having taken out, so to speak. This is almost like uh, a, it, it's a, a movement. It is a sex, uh, a sex purge or a sex assault purge, sex harassment purge. We've got to find a better, a better name for this. Uh, something that I will think about. But she comes to Franken's defense with it. Well, come on. I mean, how how bad, how bad could it really? How how bad does it have to be for someone to suffer consequences? And I would just note that okay, but you know now we're going to get into subjective territory with this, right? Now now we get into well, on some instances they will give a pass, and on others they won't. And the moment we see this, we know it will be politicized. We know where all that's going. I have been telling you, and if you listen to the show, you know it's true. I've been telling you that first Hollywood, then D.C., how many times, I've said it many times here, that D.C., you have powerful, a lot of powerful, older, unattractive, self-important men who really want to use their power and authority to try and force themselves on, uh, in some cases, very young women in their 20s or you know, intern, college interns. Uh, young women in D.C., as well as just dealing with me- female members of their staff in ways that is demeaning and and is wrong. Um, and sure enough, we have, yes, Al Franken, but there are others as well. Uh, here is Representative Diana uh, Dejet of Colorado talking about an incident she dealt with. I think that many members of Congress, certainly professional women, have been harassed over the years, and I'm certainly no different. When I was a young congresswoman, I was um, at a diplomatic dinner, and one of the French diplomats tried to put his hand up my dress. You can imagine the shock when you're sitting at a dinner like that. And then, some years ago, um, uh, I was in an elevator, and then Congressman Bob Vilner tried to pin me to the door of the elevator and kiss me, and I pushed him away. And of course, some years later, he left Congress. He became the mayor of San Diego, and then he had to leave that position for harassing younger women. So it sounds like that guy was was a harasser, although I should note that, you know, look, Stephanie Rule opens up the door here, opens up the discussion with, okay, are we going to start to give uh you know look at more minor behavior as 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 an indiscretion without franken by the way it's not just one thing so we're gonna now they just really don't want to have to have al franken step down that's all that is uh and people have called for him to step down i should note i've also just always heard just a really nasty bad guy side note 
Uh, I don't know him, but that's what I've always been told by Democrats and Republicans have told me that. Uh, and very sanctimonious, of course. But with Representative DeJet there saying that someone tried to push her. I'm sorry? DeGette. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. DeGette. Um, never heard of her before. Not going to lie. So that's a first. Yeah. A lot of members of Congress. I'm just saying. So I, you know. But uh, good save by producer Amy. Uh, Representative DeGette uh, saying that he pinned her and tried to kiss her. I this is this reminds me a little bit of the conversation we start to have on college campuses, too, about, OK, well, what are the expectations of behavior? Do we now insist on uh, do we now insist on men requesting permission to try and kiss a woman? Is that is that the new standard now? If your colleagues in the workplace, there's other ways that it could just be made inappropriate. But if a guy leans in to kiss a girl and or if a man leans in to kiss a woman, I mean, you know, whatever. Has he committed some kind of an offense if she doesn't want to? I mean, you know, this is there are these there are some gray areas that do exist. You know, I think that when you're talking now, he, I think she said he pushed her. Any kind of force obviously is wrong. But I just want to know what the rules are. Because the rules right now are being made up by mostly the left and the media, and they will be used to the advantage of Democrats in some way, as I have been saying. Right now, it's just a purge, right? Everybody's got to go. And the latest here is uh, the CEO, no, the uh, chief creative officer of, of uh, what is it, Disney, chief creative officer. He was the director on Toy Story, and Rashida Jones, according to Drudge here, Quit Toy Story over unwanted advances from this guy. So I think he's, Ty, Amy, what do we think? I think, just based on the, I think he's probably toast. Yeah, I think he's not going to come back from this. So uh, anyway, that's that's what I see happening here. I just, you know, trying to, I'm trying to keep it real, everybody. Um, and then you add the, the, just back to the Franken things for a second, you have whether or not Franken should step down. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. Oh, yeah. She was asked the question. Here's how she responded. People are calling for uh, Al Franken to step down. Do you think he should? So, look, oh, I was um, just enormously disappointed about this. Disappointed. Uh, I knew Senator Franken long before he was Senator Franken and his wife, Franny. Um these allegations are serious. We know and that. Women have a right to be heard. They do. But you'll notice she didn't give an answer. She didn't actually answer the question. Should he step down? You know, it's serious. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Senator Warren, law professor. We know it's serious. Uh, but there you have it. And. Uh, then you also had Senator Ben Cardin ask whether Al Franken should step down and Representative John Conyers of Michigan, whose name I did not even work into the show yet. He, Democrat member of Congress, is accused of firing a woman who rejected his sexual advance. Pretty, pretty gross stuff, right? It's about as in the sexual harassment realm, you know, making a move and then firing somebody because they're not into it is... That is like exhibit a, you know, top of the list kind of stuff of sexual harassment. And 
you had another Democrat asked about this. And here's what the Democrat Ben Cardin had to say. Should these two men continue to serve in Congress? Well, I just heard about uh, Congressman Conyers' issue. These, uh, mm-hmm. these allegations are extremely serious and <laughs> must be dealt with in a very serious manner. What's too much, though? What is too much it's, to it's, serve it's in Congress? Well, I, I think the reputation of Congress is critically important. Clear, and they should be removed from Congress? Well, I, as you pointed out a little bit earlier, there are gradations of, of issues here. I think it's up to the Ethics Committee to try to develop the appropriate way that we can uh, deal with the, these these cases. I, I like this, by the way. Now, anytime I'm asked a tough question from now on, I'm just be like, well, I mean, this is this issue is serious. You know, it's a, it's a serious issue. I'll just do it in a in a voice that tries to enhance my gravitas. These are serious. You know, this is very serious. Yeah, we, we know that. You'll notice Elizabeth Warren, the same thing. These are serious issues. Same thing. Won't answer the question, though. Right? Won't answer the question. So when it comes to alleged impropriety for a Republican, the answer must be immediate uh, destruction of career and, you know, no, no, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're done. When it comes to a Democrat, there's there's gradations. Watch this carefully, my friends. This is now going to be the playbook. They're, they're going to say that all, you know, or there's a serious. Yeah, we know they're going to keep talking about how serious it is. And they're going to want this to be a a powerful tool for uh, expunging people from public life. But they're going to start to do more and more. If this keeps going the way it's going, right, if this uh, sex abuse purge continues, they are going to want to create a a construct where the where Democrats, you know, let's look, let's treat this like grades of severity. And, you know, you know, let's look at the whole package and let's take a a holistic approach. You could say we'll revisit the notion of a holistic approach later in the show. When it comes to college admissions, let's take a holistic approach to Democrat accusations. Oh, and also take into account the politics of the situation. But with Republicans, guilty, guilty, you know, verdict first, trial later. So there you have it. That's that is the plan from the left. Before we go to break, I want to take Dan listen on the Blaze Radio out in Hawaii. Aloha, Dan. Aloha, Buck. How are you today? Good, good. Thanks for your call. Hey, I used to be a television reporter and then a satellite uplink truck operator, worked with the networks all the time, and they always presented themselves as the arbiters of truth to power. And the big question that emerges when you hear Nora O'Donnell and the other gal on CBS this morning is, this is happening in your own home. This is happening in your own business, and you don't know what's going on, and we're expected to believe that you are a credible source, source to truth to power? Absolutely. Totally agree with you. It's nonsense, right? I mean, these people, the people around these abusers are being exposed as well. Oh, yeah. The whole the whole thing is just if folks really realize that the media in this country and again, I've worked in it. uh, If media in this country masks their stupidity with their arrogance, pure and simply. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Uh, thank you for calling in, Dan. And nice to have, I'm sorry, go ahead. You want to finish up? Just real quick, my wife pointed this out today. I would be uh, making advisories to Pfizer about their Viagra pills because that's going to be the defense for some of these clowns. They're going to say the little bit blue pill made me do it. Hmm. Okay, that was a little weird, but all right, thanks for calling in. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I, it, that was all like a womp womp, right? Kind of, yeah, all right. Fair enough. Well, anyway, astute observations and then a, and then a joke. Hey, you know, it's, it's live radio. Uh, let's get into... Um, let's get into Roy Moore. I haven't even talked about it yet on the show, so I will... I will uh, get into that, and also the Uber hack, which I think is a more—it's a more interesting discussion, or we will make it a more interesting discussion than it necessarily sounds right off the bat. So we have much to discuss. Uh, you might as well get queued up now. Trump spoke about the Roy Moore issue, and he—well, he's not telling Roy Moore to back down. In fact, Trump says that well. We'll hear it in this other break. What do you think about Trump's response to Roy Moore at this point today? We'll play it for you. If you already have thoughts, 844-900-2825. We'll move on to that next, and we'll be right back. I know that the audio there is tough, so sorry, but that's the only audio that exists, though. So Trump was standing next to Air Force One and basically having a a press conference practically inside the engine. Uh, But I can tell you exactly what he said. If you couldn't catch it, it was hard for me, and I'm sitting here in studio. Here's what he said. He, He was asked about Roy Moore by the press, and Trump responded, he denies it. Look, he denies it. If you look at all the things that have happened over the last 48 hours, he totally denies it. He says it didn't happen. And look, you have to look at him also. Uh, so that is what Trump had to say about Roy Moore. I, I would note that uh, the uh, the race right now, based on polling I see here on thehill.com, uh, the race is close. Uh, polling shows Moore and Doug Jones neck and neck in the Alabama Senate race. So, you know, you, you have a situation here where this is going to, it looks like it's going to be a tight, a tight election here, a tight finish. And I'm sure you must have thoughts on Trump. Keep in mind that not only did Trump say that he denies it, but Trump also left open, at least, the possibility that next week he may campaign for Roy Moore. Now, do I think, I do not think that he will end up doing that. I'm getting, yeah, Ty and Amy, I, th- I think there's a, we have a, a consensus in here. I don't think Trump will, but if anyone in you know, recent American political history might decide, yeah, whatever, I don't care what anybody says. I think this guy is telling the truth and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support him. It would be Trump. So, you know, I, I, I stay, I'm in the prediction game for a lot of things for you all listening. I stay out of the Trump prediction game as much as possible because very hard. Because the moment that Trump feels like the conventional wisdom is telling him what he can't do, that's the thing that he seems to want to do. So I don't know. 
Um, I, I really do want to hear from you uh, listening. What do you think? There have been some, there's new information, new allegations, about, or I shouldn't say new allegations. Well, I think, are there new allegations? I can't even keep up. There's new information about the allegations about Roy Moore. Um, um, so Tyrone took, so what did the accuser, what did the accuser say yesterday? I missed it. Yeah, she went on the Today Show and laid out a, in my opinion, a believable case of what happened with pretty good recollection and also friends of hers over the years who have heard the story sort of corroborated what she said. Okay. Now this is different from one of the earlier? No, this was the 14-year-old, the one that the was- 14-year-old, The 14-year-old, the initial one. Okay. She spoke on the Today Show yesterday okay. and that was- um. I, she came off sympathetic. That's all. Right. I well, I, I said this about the woman who I believe said she was 16, that when she gave that that statement, I said, look, she she came across as credible. So I don't, you know, <laughs> that I'm just, I'm just saying, if you're watching that thing, it, now people have, they're saying that there's, I, I've read a lot. Of, thank you, Tyrone, brother. I, I've read a lot of the uh, diving into the details of what was said, what was true, what wasn't true. Um, and I will note that yesterday I was traveling around D.C. I actually I appreciate that Tyrone caught that. I did not see that interview uh, with this young woman. But does, have any of you changed your minds on that? I'm really curious about that. Have any of you changed your minds? Are any of you even more convinced that this is not true, that this is a scam run against Roy Moore? Uh, how, how has your opinion shifted in the last few days. Very curious to know what you think about that. We'll talk about Uber coming up in the next hour, too. Uh, 844-900-2825. What do you think about the Alabama Senate race, everybody? I'm sure you got some thoughts. 844-900-BUCK. We will be back uh, in just a few. Stay with me through that. So I want to get to some of your calls on Roy Moore, Trump's comments on Roy Moore from earlier today uh, out on the tarmac. It's a bit loud, but we were able to make out what the president had to say. And before I do that, I just want to note that uh, producer Amy sent me this. For those who are wondering, am I being too harsh on these CBS anchors who said they didn't know anything about Charlie Rose, even though they worked with him day in and day out? And it's a very small business and a very gossipy one, too. I would note a lot of a lot of chit chat between folks about this and that and the other thing. Uh, there this was a piece on Mediaite that Amy sent me. CBS's Charlie Rose offers to spank Nora O'Donnell as she slaps her own butt. That was on TV. So, okay, you could say that, you know, he was he was kidding or, you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm just telling you, there was there was smoke, my friends. And now we know there was a fire, but there was definitely smoke. And people saw the smoke and they're like, I don't see any smoke. Charlie Rose is great. He's not a creepy weirdo. Don't even get me started also on why was this guy somebody that we all had to like listen to and had bad ratings on his Charlie Rose show. The ratings weren't good. So who were me? I, I want to know who's making the decision to keep this guy in his elevated perch all these years. Because there were people that were making that decision. They were, you know, up at, re-upping his contract, paying him all kinds of money, making him into a, into a uh, you know, a going concern, making him into a, a brand. I want to know who that was. I think we should know. And and what their decision-making process was. And what did they know about all this as well? I think that's fair to ask. All right. Uh, let's take Chris in New Hampshire, iHeart app. Hey, Chris. How you doing, Buck? I'm good. Thanks for the call. 
Hey, no problem. You were you were looking for a name to call these these perpetrators. Um, Keep it clean. That are. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I mean, I'm serious, but um, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, I, I consider the perps oxygen thieves, really, because because they're really, you know, they're, they're stealing something that they're not worthy of, to be honest. And, and and the whole action of depriving somebody of just the simple peace at work to do your job without being harassed or or in other in other ways compromised. Uh, oxygen thievery. Uh, I think that's uh, that's a fair statement. Mm. What do you think? I, I'm I, okay. Sure. I don't think that's going to catch on, though. I don't think you're going to see a lot of oxygen thievery memes. Crust, <laughs> the crusty paw. I think there are some memes there, but I don't think we'll see any oxygen thievery memes. But Chris, appreciate the call. Listening on the iHeart app from New Hampshire. Thank you, sir. Shelly in North Carolina on WPTI. Hey, Shelly. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Good. Um, I just wanted to say on this whole Roy Moore thing, um, you know, the the Republican Party have gotten themselves in a real pickle. Pretty much damned if they do, damned if they don't. You know, you have immorality with this guy, obviously, you know, horrible allegations. But you've got it on the other side as well. So... I don't know what they're gonna do. Uh, I th- I think they're I think Roy Moore is gonna be in this. I mean, I think he's in it to win it, right? I don't think he's going anywhere. So he's neck and neck oh, with. I, I definitely don't think he's going anywhere. He's definitely staying in there. But I think honestly, I think that that if they do put him through, they just need to put the Senate Ethics Committee him step down and then have the governor appoint somebody else that's the way they need to choose. so this is this is what i've been hearing about this is what i've been uh been told about recently and that is that they will have so if roy moore wins that means the people of alabama had their say it means mm-hmm. that he can then go to the senate and mcconnell and i don't think alabamans would be very happy about this but at this point i don't think mr mcconnell would care very much Oh, that, that's actually right. David. I need to work on my McConnell. My McConnell, my David Gergen kind of sound the same. Um, but uh, then they would not seat him. So they would, I guess they'd remove him from the Senate, right? And then they would have the governor of Alabama, who's obviously a Republican, appoint right. an interim senator. And then they would have another special election. But uh, that's a few steps. And it requires, I should note, it requires Roy Moore to win. The downside here for the GOP is if Roy Moore loses, well, of course, then they lose the Senate seat, so that's an obvious right. downside. But then in addition, you'll be hearing about this for a long time. I just actually took a screenshot of this with my phone because it was a CNN banner. I said, oh, wow, I see what I see what they're doing here. They're, CNN, uh, Shelley, right before you call, was running with Trump backs accused child molester over Democrat, which yeah, is not I just love. a CNN headline. That's been making the rounds on Twitter. The big uh, leftist commentary on this has been that Republicans would prefer a child molester over a Democrat. That's what they're saying. And if Roy Moore loses, spin. it will be taken. I'm sorry? I said I love liberal spin. Yeah, but if Roy Moore loses, it will be treated by the left as something of a referendum on his guilt and mm-hmm. so even if he loses, I do think it's important everybody keep in mind that the left will be saying, look at the Republicans, they backed 
even though Mitch McConnell and these others stepped away, they'll say they backed a child molester. They're going to say that right. no matter what. Right. Yeah. yeah, and they are going to say that no matter what to to any of them. But I think, I don't know, uh, there's not a good choice on either side. It's, it's going to be... The liberals are going to spin it in a bad way no matter what happens. Well, Shelly, thank you for calling it from North Carolina. Shields high. And, yeah, liberals... Liberals, liberals going to liberal. I mean, that's what they do. And then the left is going to say about this. Well, we, we all kind of have a sense, I think, of what they're going to say. And it's going to continue on here. So, uh, I don't know. I, I Look, I, I, just have, I think Roy Moore is going to win. I, I think Roy Moore is going to win. I do. That's just the feel that I get. I think that a lot of Alabamans are – I think when you add together – the Republican Alabama voters who either just flatly do not believe. Now, I think a lot of them probably believe that he was dating teenage girls legally. I think a lot of them believe that, but I think a lot of them probably believe that he did not either sexually assault or date anyone who was underage. Which we have the audio of the interview. Oh, the woman. Um, play it. Voted as a Republican for years and years and years, um, but this isn't political for me. This is personal. It's very close to my heart, and I've lived with this for a long time. At 14, I was not dating. Um, at 14, I was not able to make those kind of choices. Um, I met him around the corner from my house. My mother did not know, and he took me to his home. Um, after arriving at his home um, on the second occasion that I went with him he basically laid out some blankets on the floor of his living room and proceeded to um, seduce me I guess you would say and during the course of that he removed my clothing Uh, he left the room and came back in wearing his white underwear and um, he touched me over my clothing, what was left of it. And he um, tried to get me to touch him as well. Um, and at that point, I pulled back and said that I was not comfortable. And I got dressed and he took me home. Um, but I was a 14-year-old child trying to play in an adult's world. A couple of things. Roy Moore denies these allegations and further says he does not even know you. I wonder how many me's he doesn't know. Well, you you can you've heard the audio. I'm sure you can. The whole interview is available online. You can decide for yourself uh, how how you uh, how you find in terms of the the guilt or innocence of Roy Moore with regard to the charges of underage sexual act. You know, engaging in underage uh, sexual activity. Um, she certainly sounds very credible in the in the interview. Um, I, I think what I have heard from a lot of a lot of folks, including here on the show, as well as through emails and elsewhere, is that they they're not saying that Roy Moore didn't date girls who were of age. They just do not they do not accept the allegations as true that he engaged in underage sexual activity or sexual assault, tried to force himself on anybody. That's my understanding of what. Or that's what I've heard or read from some uh, Alabamans. 
So that's one level of this. There are those who I think will vote for Roy Moore who just don't believe. They don't believe it. Then there's the other level of the pure political calculation. And the pure political calculation is we live in a zero-sum environment right now for Senate seats and the American political agenda and the future of this country. And if we have to, you know, just hold our noses and vote for Roy Moore, even if it may be true, I don't think anybody who truly believes this. I think they're falling on a reasonable doubt standard saying, look, there's reasonable doubt. He has not been convicted, but they're saying it may be true, but it is not necessarily true. It has not been proven. And he denies it that in that instance, as they weigh it, they're saying that it's more important to have a Republican in that seat. And then we can figure out what to do with Roy Moore once he wins the election. So there's the verifying of the allegations discussion. And then there's the cold, hard political reality discussion. I think when you add those two together from what I'm seeing right now and from what the polls say, look, the polls say it's dead even. So right now it's a coin flip. Um, We will see if uh, we have, we will see if that changes based on more allegations. By the way, his, uh, he's got a campaign aide who spoke today on his behalf. Here's, look, I just played that, that interview, which I'm sure uh, many of you view as, very problematic, very damning even. Uh, but then there's Roy Moore's campaign today. This is their statement. Play it. Judge Moore will help President Trump get done what needs to get done. And all this Jerry Springer stuff is over. And I'm talking to all y'all. We're not going to do this anymore as a campaign. So all you all you people that run around yelling stuff at Judge Moore, asking these ridiculous questions, I'm the chief political strategist. And my advice is... Every time they yell something like that to you, Judge Moore, or to the campaign, just think, it's the Jerry Springer show. Don't answer it. Judge Moore's answered all the questions. We believe Judge Moore. We don't believe these women. It's just that simple. And y'all can keep trotting them out if you want to, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about helping Donald Trump, making America great again. So y'all can quit asking us questions, quit yelling stuff, quit being rude. We're going to say what we're going to say. And, and Alabamians, don't be tricked by this crowd. They have the campaign completely defiant on this point, saying it's not true. He did not do it. All right, team. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. I know we've got some calls up. Uh, we could take some more. And let's also discuss the uber situation it's a big deal so we'll get into that um stay with me all right we're talking about the latest uh, news items latest stories allegations and defenses of roy moore here um 844-900-2825 no surprise lots of lines lit appreciate that a lot of you want to get in on this discussion on the air phyllis in california on the iheart app how you doing phyllis i'm doing well Thank you so much for listening. What's on your mind? Well, I was just kind of wondering, um, in the interview that the 14-year-old, the then 14-year-old girl gave, um, did they ask her, did you tell the judge that you were 14? Did he know you were 14? Did you let him uh, believe that you were older? Because, you know, some 14-year-old girls might do that. So, well, Phyllis, I can tell you, I don't know every state. I'm not a lawyer, and and I don't know every state's laws. I do know that, for example, in New York, it is a strict liability issue, which means that 
It doesn't matter if she yeah. lies to you. It doesn't matter if she even shows you a fake ID. If she's underage and you engage, uh, you are criminally liable. Um, so the very state, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the law is in Alabama. I, I, I do know that, you know, Roy Moore was third, you know. So now we're talking about if you're saying if it did happen, what would his his uh, liability, his criminal liability be? And I mean, he's 32. She's 14. If it happened, he committed a crime. And, you know, if the statute of limitations wasn't up, he'd be facing a whole lot of a whole lot of hurt from the legal system. Um, (laughs) I also had a name for your purge. Oh, okay. Well, uh, it's obvious. The pervert purge. Oh, yeah. No, I've I've called it the purge of the pervert. So, yeah. So so (laughs) I so we agree on that one for sure. Anyway, Phyllis, yeah, so it has to do with strict liability, and there's some, depending, so I mean... it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered, exactly. And and state to state, um, you know, it varies a little bit, and actually, I think a lot of people are surprised to know that the age of consent is different in a lot of U.S. states. California, it's 18. New York, it's 17. Alabama, it's 16. So, it varies, and, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, 14 and 32, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you something, I'm going to tell you something that, that, if I may, that Tyrone said to me that was a very clarifying as we're, we discuss all this stuff off air as well as on air and and he's just like come on when was the last time you and this i know people say they think the yearbook is forged but let's just take the, take a moment here he said what was the last time you wrote in a high school girl's yearbook and i was like definitely when i was in high school as i'm 30 i'm 35 i do not hang out with 14 15 16 year olds that does not happen i mean you know i'm not single but you know even still i'm just saying that that would never ever ever happen in a million years well, I appreciate you talking to me. Yeah, of course, Phyllis. Thank you very much for, for calling in. Um, anyway, uh, Alex in Utah, listening on the Blaze app. Hey, Alex. Hey, Buck. Shield tie, man. Shield tie. Hey, so I'm, I just kind of have a comment about this Roy Moore situation. Um, he's pro-life, right? He's a pro-life candidate. Yeah. Yeah, so... If I was in Alabama, and I'm not, of course, but I would probably choose a pro-life candidate, even if he's allegedly, uh, you know, the key word being allegedly, of course, a sexual harasser. I would choose that because that's just so heinous, and the Democrats are so keen on that pro-life thing that we've got to do something about it, you know? And... If that's what we got to throw up there, yeah, well, Alex, we got we got to be clear on our definitions here because if if Roy Moore engaged in underage sexual activity, it's that's that's not sexual harassment; that's a crime, right? That would be statute. I mean, it would I, now look in the specifics, and now we're getting really you know into the in the legal uh, the legal realities here. And keep in mind, there's statute of limitations has passed, so there will be no legal process that applies to any of this. But if there wasn't a statute of limitations. Uh, I th- I think it would be sexual battery on a minor he would have committed, which is a serious crime. I don't know what this what the penalty is for it in Alabama, but it's it's a serious uh, a serious crime. So this is not in the sexual harassment category. This is in the uh, this is in the sexual assault slash underage uh, uh, underage. Uh, sex abuse category, right? So it's very, it's a very, it is, you know, I remember saying before people, the serious allegations, they just didn't want to answer. It is a serious allegation. Um, well, they were talking about Al, Al Franken, right? But this is a very serious allegation. The Franken stuff is what we were talking about in the last hour. Um, but so are you saying to me, Alex, that like there's a party that feels like 
you know, Roy Moore, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt here because he's a conservative and therefore he might be saving lives by being pro-life? Is that, is that? I, that's kind of, yeah, kind of what I'm saying. If you throw it up on a scale, would I rather have somebody who's murdering babies or allegedly uh, sexual battery 70 years ago or whatever, 40 years ago, whatever it is? Uh, well, I mean, now you're taking the the uh, zero sum the zero sum politics position in all this stuff, which I mentioned before. People are making that uh, designation as well. But I look if Roy Moore is guilty, Roy Moore needs to step down. Uh, that, that's that's how I feel about this. But um, anyway, by the way, I wanted a quick note. Thank you for calling in. By the way, Alex, I wanted to note that uh, Bill uh, Bill wrote in, um, uh, "Hey, Buck Shields, high the oxygen thief." was most likely uh, referring to something that vets say oxygen thief is a favorite insult of drill sergeants. I had never heard that before. So, okay, might have learned something new. Uh, Let's talk about that Uber situation. We'll get to that in uh, just a few minutes. 844-900-2825. Switching gears here. Talking about a massive cyber hack. Stay with me for that. Bombshell about the rideshare company Uber. This, This is pretty astonishing. Let me give you the details, then we'll talk about why this matters, what this means. I mean, you got, here's from uh, Bloomberg, Bloomberg reporting on this. Hackers stole the personal data of 57 million customers and drive. So I, I can assume, I guess, that my data was probably, I mean, I don't know how many Uber has in total, but I'm an Uber user. Uh, Uber, yeah. Uh, and drivers from Uber Technologies, a massive breach that the company concealed for more than a year. This week, the ride-hailing firm ousted its chief security officer and one of his deputies for their roles in keeping the hack under wraps, which which included a $100,000 payment to the attackers. Compromised data from the October 2016 attack included names, emails, addresses, and phone numbers of 50 million Uber riders around the world. Okay, it's around the world, not just the U.S., The company told Bloomberg uh, the personal information of about 7 million drivers was accessed as well, including 600,000 U.S. driver's licenses. But no Social Security numbers, credit card information or other info was taken. Well, uh, Uber, um, I think that people probably would have wanted to know about this. Uh, There's a big pull quote here in the piece. None of this should have happened, and I will not make excuses for it. That is the uh, CEO who took over in September for Uber. He said the quote, we are changing the way we do business. Um, This is so this is a major hack. I mean, this is up there with the uh, the hacks of Yahoo, MySpace, uh, Anthem Health, Equifax, Office of Personnel Management. I mean, there have been all these enormous hacks where so much information and some of it, you know, sensitive personal information has been accessed. And this is just astonishing. Um, First of all, the Uber paid. So maybe this was like that want to cry. I don't know. I don't know what the I have to look up what the timeline would be here. There was that want to cry ransomware hack. This sounds like a ransomware uh, oh, wait, no, they have a description here. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm guessing, but because this story just broke when I went on air. So let me give you more of the details here from Bloomberg. Two attackers accessed a private GitHub coding site 
used by Uber software engineers, and then use login credentials they obtain there to access data stored on an Amazon Web Services account uh, that handles computer tasks for the company. From there, the hackers discovered an archive of rider and driver information. Later, they emailed Uber asking for money. So, yeah, this was a uh, this was kind of a a data hostage situation. And they say they took immediate steps to deal with this. But, uh, wow, um, this is this is pretty astonishing. I mean, that's a lot of of info to grab on uh, on different people. And Uber pay Uber paid the bounty 100 grand to get the info back. Uh, this is, this is becoming big business. And I feel like nobody really wants to know quite how big a business it is because it's uh, really disconcerting. And when you know about all the hacking that's going on and all the different companies that one have lost your data, by the way, they're like, yeah, sorry. And also that are then paying in some cases to get it back. That just means there'll be more and more of this, man, it is. And this is going to be a way I should note for for rogue states and and rogue entities around the world. They were using this largely, I think, to try and access government secrets, maybe get their hands on classified, you know, more on the military and intelligence side of things. They're looking for information like that. But now I think they realize if you can hack into a bank and hold the bank digitally hostage, there could be real money in that. And once you add to it the possibility of untraceable cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is just the most famous kind, but you have all these cryptocurrencies out there now. You can see there's a there's a whole, you know, cyber uh, hacking for profit it is all going to be a whole new industry out there. Well, it's not new, but it's a growing industry, uh, criminal enterprise. Chip in Florida, a podcast listener, but he's live with us now. Hey, Chip. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thanks for calling in. My pleasure. I just wanted to... I've been listening for on podcasts for a long time. Actually, I'm from back in the Saturdays. So, oh, wow. Original, original Saturday Squad, OSS. Absolutely. And uh, I've never had a chance to call you, but I've, I've been listening. And you've been talking about Miss Molly having trouble with uh, allergies. Yeah, dog allergies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> my daughter is a veterinarian, and she has allergies to cats, which is not good for veterinarians, but uh, she takes a Zyrtec every morning before she goes to work, and that seems to work. Really? Okay, and she doesn't have much problem with that? That's good to know, because some people have been advising shots, like you get a series of shots over time, and it can, I guess, dull the allergy in some way? Yeah, it, it can, but it, this uh, for, for her it worked, because it's not a uh, serious allergy that she has, but she's definitely, um, she's definitely has problems with cats. All right. Well, and, Chip, thank And allergically, that is. I hear you, man. Well, thank you so much for the recommendation. Thanks for listening to the show and Original Squad. Great to hear from you. Been with me almost five years then, everybody. It's been a while. OSS, Original Saturday Squad. Uh, one of the discussions that's going on, other than, hey, Molly, can you, can we actually do this dog thing when, with the uh, allergies uh, situation? But also, what's an acceptable size of Canine Companion? I think it's like for New York City. I think the sweet spot's like a thirty or forty pounder, maybe. She's she wants more like a sixty or seventy pounder, and I'm like, that's a lot of. Yeah, <laughs> producer Amy and Tyrone are both like, ah, I don't. That's a lot of dog. So she she likes. Hey, she likes big dogs. You know what can you do? I keep telling her a bulldog 
is like is like 50 pounds, but she's like, well, that's all. They're just chubby. I'm like, yeah, but they're so lovable. Anyway, this is this is the ongoing debate. One day we'll just we're never just going to go rescue the most mangy looking pup we can from the kennel. But anyway, uh, we're going to come back here with Selena Zito in just a few minutes and talk to her about, well, all kinds of stuff, including the sexual harassment allegations. Stay with me for that and more. Okay, everybody. So we've got Selena Zito with us on the line. She is the uh, co-author of the upcoming new book, The Great Revolt, Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. She's also one of the few people who saw Trumpism coming, made efforts to understand Trumpism as a journalist. And she joins us now with her insights. Selena, great to have you back. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Um, So before we get into the latest headlines, per se, I just... (laughs) want to note that there are media outlets that are comparing Charles Manson to Trump. You're going to have to explain to me, because Charles Manson is dead, everybody. Yay, let's celebrate. Uh, But, you know, they're comparing Charles Manson to Trump. That just seems insane, even for a crazy media. Oh, it is absolutely insane. And as soon as I saw uh, Newsweek tweet that, I I think my reaction was, I this is why they hate us. And then I'm like, never mind. I give up. There, this is never going to end. I mean, if people want to, if, if people are still perplexed as to why there is such a deep distrust for the media in, in understanding uh, voters outside of the more uh, cosmopolitan areas of, of New York and Washington and, and Los Angeles, uh, making comparisons of the sitting president uh, to a mass murderer, probably the most heinous, hated man until Osama bin Laden came along in our culture due to the, the way he brutally and, and his followers brutally killed um, eight people over three days. Uh, I just... I, I'm just I, my, my head hurts thinking about like the thought process that went into that. D- don't place. I mean, Selena, you're a you're a, you're an actual journalist, right? I'm I'm a guy who has a I lot am. of opinions up. You're an actual journalist, and, and don't, don't places like Newsweek realize that? I understand the game at some level. You know, you run a splashy headline, you try to get people to click, and maybe you do real journalism afterwards. But you, you can't run stuff in headlines. Never mind entire pieces that are just uh, discrediting and crazy. <laughs> do, do they realize well, that there's that, a loss headline, here in the value proposition? Yeah, I mean, that headline matched the story for once, right? <laughs> and the story is just preposterous. And, and you, know, if, you know, I mean, there are a variety of all kinds of people that are on Twitter and all kinds of age groups. And, and, and so the younger people might think, oh, it's, a, you know, it's clickbait and, and they're a little more savvy, but Dang, if you click onto that thing, it lives up to the headline. And I just, I just don't understand why, why they think it's okay to write a story like that based on absolutely no facts. I mean, that's what we do in journalism, right? Even when you are writing an opinion piece, it has, it has to be factual. I mean, this is such an incredible stretch and it's so insulting. Um, it, it, so think back of people who voted for for Barack Obama or or George W. Bush, and 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 to compare sort of the you know when, when you vote for someone, a lot of that is a projection of yourself. 
uh, whether you want to be, you see yourself in that person or you see your values in that person. So when you attack that person with such a uh, sort of awful thing like that, an awful, you know, cultural person, and you compare them to that, you are then attacking them and where they live and where they sit in their communities. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's like Newsweek is doing accidental or unintentional fundraising for the, the Trump 2020 victory campaign by doing stuff oh, like this. I, when, I, when I see tweets like that, I'm like, well, yeah, Trump's going to be president forever. They keep this up. Yeah, and I should know um, that Washington it, Post had a piece out. And then now this is analysis, to be fair. So at least they call it analysis, although... I think the way that analysis on front pages and actual news are presented, sometimes it's it's a pretty gray. I mean, you'd have to really look for yeah. the little analysis tag. But anyway, but did President Trump's ancestors migrate to the United States because of climate change? I'm like, oh, okay. So now Trump oh, is we, Trump should kidding? know that we we should even. Did you see that? It's amazing. No. No. That's <laughs> no. Selena's had a. No, please, no. <laughs> yeah. See? I can't even believe that that was like it. I can't believe someone thinks like that. Like, I don't know people that think that way. Yeah, I mean, the, the takeaway is supposed to be that Trump denies the science that is the very reason for his rise in this country. And, you know, he's essentially ungrateful to climate change. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Anyway, I. Um, I, I, I I would love to see the editor that says, oh, that's a great thesis. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the, stuff, maybe the stuff gets clicks. We're speaking to Selena Zito, everybody, author of the upcoming book, The Great, Re- uh, great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. The Great Revolt, uh, available for pre-order on Amazon for those of you listening. Uh, Selena, a couple more things before we let you get back to uh, all your, your journalist stuff. Um <laughs> Uh, the latest uh, sexual harassment allegations, you got John Conyers in here. I've oh. been saying for weeks on this show that, oh, don't think it's just going to be Hollywood. DC is next. One, yeah. uh, you know, are, are, do you think that this is just the beginning for DC? It feels like Hollywood. They've run through some big names. I don't know if there's going to be even bigger names, but they've taken some. We haven't seen that many big names inside the Beltway that have been newly accused of anything. I think that's yeah. coming. Oh, I, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I, I think that this, there is, this is going to be devastating um, to, to Washington, and I think it's going to be devastating to the media, and I think it's going to be, continue to be devastating to Hollywood, which is like really sort of fascinating because that is, those three entities are what populists on both sides of the of the aisle, have been sort of upset with, and and then you know the, to to see this sort of all crumble, and, and and also Buck, how about the people that defend the indefensible? I mean, is, is, I saw this uh, this letter that went out, and, and and as a woman, I I I know that this is something that would intimidate me by other women. So there was a letter that went out for so 36 uh, women signed it who worked her out with Al Franken, whether it was at SNMO or Senate staff, current and former, who signed saying that he was had nothing been nothing but a, a perfect gentleman. That's the kind of thing that would ice another woman from saying anything. Uh, Selena, I've been saying in recent days uh, on a podcast, and now I'm saying it on the show, that there, people need to think of it as media deep state elements in a sense that just because yeah. like a Charlie Rose or maybe an Al Franken, but Charlie Rose is clearly he's toast doesn't mean yeah. that there aren't people who stay behind 
who might decide to uh, get a little payback at some of those who come out and speak out, especially if they're inside the industry. And so, it, you know, it's it's not safe, even a, even after the person finally gets some measure of of punishment and justice may be served at some level. It's not totally safe to come out and say, wow, what a creep this guy is, because, you know, someone like me, I might be up for a job in a few years and Charlie Rose's executive producer will be the person making the choices. And guess what? She may yeah. think that, you know, what happened to Charlie, I'm just speaking theoretically here, but she may think it's kind of unfair and didn't like what I had to say. Well, unfortunately, what you just, that scenario that you just laid out is so common and, and, and so much a part of, of, of politics and media. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've worked in, in, in other sort of different kinds of um, uh, places outside of media in, in my 58 years. And, and th- that kind of attitude is everywhere. You know, you're, you're afraid to say something because three, three layers of people later, you, you might have to come face to face with this person. And so you don't say anything and, you know, you hold your fire. Um, because if you do say something, it comes, you know, especially with social media. I mean, all you do is start, search someone's, uh, Twitter feed and say, oops, eh, crossing that guy off. He's not getting that job. Oh, yeah. No. And, and I, by the way, I'm theorizing about what could happen, but right. I also know it has happened. <laughs> so I know oh. of instances where people have been. It's very it's so hard to prove, especially long term retaliation. But those who speak out against creeps could run the risk of the creeps allies, especially because I think there's a guilt complex with some of them. I mean, with yeah. with Charlie Rose uh, specifically, Selena. We, we see that there were people around. Uh, by the way, I'll just say it. I don't buy that his co-host didn't know. I tweeted it out this morning. I don't buy that. I mean, when I say don't know, they maybe didn't know the full extent, but they knew he was shady. And other yeah. people around him knew he was shady. The producers knew. I mean, come on, right? But they may yeah. feel guilty and they may want to lash out at people who point this out down the line. Yeah, it's part of human frailty, right? You, you, you aren't directly responsible, but yet you feel directly responsible. And the only way you protect yourself is by hurting someone else. Selena Zito and, is author of the upcoming book, The Great Revolt, Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. What's the, uh, what's the release date, Selena? It is May sixth, but by now, because you know it's going to be big seller. Now, I'm I'm pretty I'm really excited about people reading. That's going to be a great book. Everybody should pre-order. Get that pre-order in so you can get it in yeah, now, and then exactly. it'll just arrive. It'll arrive on the release date. Uh, thank you so yeah. much, Selena. Great to have you, and uh, come back soon. Yes, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. <laughs> All right, team. We're going to roll into uh, the next break. We're going to talk about the diversity. Uh, the diversity agenda, uh, the diversity apparatus is under assault. And I will say this is a good thing. It's under assault at Harvard University, even. Talk about that. Also, the end of a tyrant, an update on Zimbabwe, and then some Team Buck Speaks. So a jam-packed third hour. Stay with me. Trump's DOJ is doing some great stuff when it comes to affirmative action, my friends. Story today in the Wall Street Journal that I want to talk to you about. It's just delicious. It's amazing. You're going to love this. Because for a long time, liberals, progressives, the media, they've been playing this game of, oh, we just use 
we just use a, a holistic admissions process, which is just an excuse to do whatever the heck these schools creating social laboratories on campus engaged in all kinds of not just social engineering, but also a kind of historical balancing, you know, which groups are the most discriminated against, which ones are not, and, you know, who's included based upon the diversity criteria that they're just making up as they go along. What is the criteria? Oh, you know, we know it when we see it. Oh, okay. In that case, the Trump Department of Justice is saying enough. And Harvard University, that's right, they're going for the top, everybody. Harvard University is now in the midst of a DOJ probe over its affirmative action policies. Uh, This is what the Wall Street Journal reported today. The Justice Department, whose civil rights division is conducting the investigation into similar allegations, said in a letter to Harvard's lawyers dated November 17th and reviewed by the journal that the school was being investigated under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which bars discrimination on the basis of race, color, and national origin for organizations that receive federal funding. The letter also said the school had failed to comply with a November 2nd deadline to provide documents related to the university's admissions policies and practices. End quote. Let me tell you something. The reason that Harvard is not complying with these deadlines is that they are desperately hoping that there'll be some political pressure campaign from the Democrats or there'll be some media outrage that someone will come to their rescue. Because I know about the admissions policies of these different schools, not just as an applicant to various schools, but also because I have had close friends on the admissions committees of these schools. So I've been running sources, so to speak, in college and university admissions for years. And for those of you listening, as you already know, this is an an enormous issue when it comes to jobs and hiring and your future career prospects. Because especially with elite universities that carry weight in a job interview, that can be make or break. And so they are doling out to favored groups what is a very valuable thing, and they are doing it on the basis of skin color. They're doing it on the basis of ethnic origin, and they say that it's, oh, it's so holistic, but oh, wait a second. What does that mean? Are there quotas at play? Because that would be a problem. The Supreme Court has said no quotas And there's been all this gamesmanship with the liberals on the court. You have people like Justice Sotomayor, who views this as one of the most important things that the U.S. government can possibly protect, have to be elevating certain minorities and not others. You see, this is the problem. The way that the left has gotten away with discriminating on the basis of race has been that up to this point, It has been exclusively about, well, white people have it really easy. White people have all these advantages. We're going to help other people. We're going to help non-white applicants to different schools. And keep in mind that initially affirmative action was about getting African-Americans who had been legally discriminated against for a very long time and were enslaved in this country, helping them, which I think you can make a powerful argument that there was a time when that was certainly necessary. 
meaning that was a good idea to do. You can make that argument. I'm, I won't get into it now because I, there's a lot of complexity to it, but at least there's an argument for that. The way the schools operate now, though, there is a hierarchy. You know, it's, it's the best thing you can be, ask Elizabeth Warren, is to be a Native American. You know, that's why she went with the whole Focahontas ruse, because there's so few Native Americans trying to get into these schools and they're desperate to be able to literally check off that box or to show we have two Native American students in this incoming freshman or first year. No more freshman microaggression, Buck, microaggression. Uh, But they're so desperate for it that people game the system with this. But then you ask, well, why do Latinos and Hispanics Why are they given affirmative action preference? They were never enslaved in this country. There was no legal discrimination against them. And there's no really good answer because you could say, well, Buck, they're non-white and there's white privilege. And I reject the notion of white privilege entirely. And that's maybe a whole separate hour of the show I'll do some other day. As somebody who went to a scholarship Jesuit high school where everybody went for free and where my closest friends were a first-generation immigrant whose dad owned a, uh, a grocery store out in Queens whose parents spoke no English whatsoever, another kid who drove two hours, or not drove, but traveled two hours each way because his father owned a struggling auto body shop in upstate New York, and another friend of mine who was one of five being raised by a single, a single mom who uh, was a nurse you know, this whole white privilege thing for them wasn't wasn't much of a privilege, right? They were working their butts off. And then when it came time for admissions, they were told, well, you know, you're just not worth as much as an applicant with your numbers and your grades because it's been easy for you compared to other students who it's been harder based on their ethnicity, based on this social balancing that these schools engage in for the purposes of affirmative action. So that's been the, that's been what's going on for a long time. Sorry, white people, you have it easy. Non-white people are going to get an advantage. Oh, but wait a second. That's actually not what happens. And that's what's at the center of the DOJ probe. Asian Americans are actually negatively discriminated against in schools and in the application process, which begs a question. Why? Is there such a thing as Asian privilege? Asian American households, on average, have more wealth than white or Caucasian households have. So how can you justify discriminating against Asian Americans? On what basis does this? And and the reality is that it's just they are viewed as overrepresented in some of these schools. And so what the Department of Justice is doing now is they are saying, Okay, hold on a second. You're going to tell us it's a holistic, it's a holistic system, but this quote holistic system is producing basically the same ethnic composition of class after class after class. This is just a stealth quota. You just won't call it a quota and you hide Harvard, Yale, Stanford, the state school, wherever you are, most likely, although not in California, because California got rid of racial preferences and it wasn't the end of the world. In fact, there was a lot of benefits across the board as a result of California's decision to. Isn't it amazing? As a state, California got rid of racial preferences. 
Now, what happened in California was that you had a surge in Asian applicants at the top, not applicants. uh, Well, yes, applicants, as well as acceptees, as accepted students into the top state schools. And so now Berkeley, which is really the flagship of the California system, is about 40 percent Asian American. Uh, But I can tell you from my own experience here in New York City that the flagship public school, which I applied to, and I will have you know I got into, no help there from anybody, just buck, two pens, two pencils, and some test papers. And I remember being there as a, as a young kid. I was in eighth grade, and I showed up, and there were thousands, thousands of students gathered at the school called Stuyvesant High School in New York City. And they were predominantly Asian. I was just looking around. And the makeup of the school, because it is based strictly on test scores, nothing else, no anything, is 73% Asian. So there is an overrepresentation in elite institutions of Asians, according to the social justice left. So they will change the game. They will rig the system. And they've been doing this and they know they're doing it, too. That's why Harvard doesn't want to share the data. It is harder to get into Harvard if you are a first-generation Chinese-American, Filipino-American, Korean-American, go to, I mean, name an Asian country. South Asia, too, by the way. India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. It is harder to get into these schools than any other group, including white applicants. How can anyone justify that? On, on what basis are they making that distinction? If that is not discrimination by race... What is if saying sorry, Asian kid whose parents came here with nothing and decided to actually make something of themselves in this country, stay together as a family, run a successful small business and now send you young Asian uh, student of the future into Harvard or Stanford or Berkeley or UVA or wherever. Sorry, um, we, we can't accept you. We'll take somebody with lesser grades and lesser scores because they're a different skin color than you are. And by the way, that, that applies, I guess, to white applicants, too, because white applicants are getting in. Uh, it's easier for white applicants to get in than it is Asians. So h- how is Harvard going to fight this? And by the way, Harvard is just the tip of the ice. They're going after Harvard because it's going to set a standard with all the rest. And I hope the DOJ follows through on this, because once they have the data, that's it. Then, then it's all up. Once people can see the way that they've been, one, taking the same amount of these uh, of these different groups year in and year out, we'll know that it's effectively a quota. It's a de facto quota system. And th- then the left isn't going to have any room to run with on this. It's going to be diversity minus Asians. Aren't Asians part? I mean, if diversity is about et- ethnicity and, and background and, you know, ethnic origin and all the other, I, I don't even know necessarily what diversity is. I know it's not I- of ideas. They reject that on campus. But if diversity is about all that, isn't a isn't a student from Southeast Asia who you know comes from uh, who's a a Hmong Highlander, for example, or uh, a student who comes from Indonesia or the Philippines or or South Korea, aren't they? Isn't that diversity? So why is it a negative for them? Oh, because there are too many in Asia. I mean, think about the mentality here. These schools. These schools are actively discriminating against Asian students, which means if you come from that enormous part of the world, they're treating you like you're kind of the same. 
I mean, you're Korean, you're Thai, whatever, right? I mean, that's their approach. It's astonishing. And Harvard and these, they, if the information comes out, they cannot win this argument. And this is the beginning, I think. This is the crack in the dam of the whole diversity cult because it falls into self-contradiction. It is nonsense. It is a spoils system that the left has set up for favored identity groups, identity politics groups. That is what diversity is. It's we will do a lot of uh, victimology and a lot of, oh, woe is me for whatever the group is. And then we will leave it to these institutions to make it right by determining that there's no such thing as merit in getting into these academic institutions. It's just whatever they say it is. Uh, this this is a very important case because I should note this will have implications for hiring. This will have implications in the corporate world. It's not discrimination law is very clear. You cannot discriminate on the basis of race. And we have been doing that in this country for a long time. And they've been able to get away with it because of politics, not because of an honest interpretation of the law. Well, guess what? It looks like that may stop. To borrow from, I believe, Justice Alito, the best way to stop discriminating by race is to stop discriminating by race. Asian Americans have had enough. There are these Asian American groups that are bringing suit that are saying this is nonsense. This is this is bull. They're right. And the right conservatism should be with them on this wholeheartedly and making the case because this divides us. It's unfair. It's nonsense. And also these school, they're just all so smug. They're lying. They're just lying about how it's a holistic admission system. Everything. Please. They have in their head what's a fair amount of all these different groups to take, and they're going to take them based upon that. And it's a terrible way to treat young men and young women who are trying to get an education, make something of themselves and go forward in the world and want to be rewarded for their hard work based as individuals, not based on what a bunch of overpaid college bureaucrats think is fair. And they, they'll say, oh, we're private institutions. Uh-uh. Without that federal money, a lot of these places are toast. And without federal dollars backing up the student loans, they are really toast. So that game isn't going to work either. So we're going to follow this one closely. It's very important. We'll be back with uh, an update on Mugabe. Stay with me. You know, I just finished, uh, I just finished reading uh, Hillbilly Elegy recently, uh, which is, is a book that I can recommend to you. Uh, I think it's, it's well written. It's well, it's well executed. And it is an incident uh, or an instance of somebody who is, you know, being very open and honest about his background and about his, uh, you know, about his life and the trials and tribulations of his family. Uh, the guy, uh, J.D., I think his name is J.D. Vance, he went to or grew up in Kentucky and then moved to Ohio or lived in Kentucky, born in Kentucky, family from there, moved to Ohio. He's about my age. And some of the uh, idiosyncrasies of his Kentucky family remind me of some of the idiosyncrasies of, and that's an interesting word to use for it, of my uh, Virginia-based, the Virginia-based contingent of my family, uh, including a, a, a particular fondness for, uh, well, 
firearms and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff too. <laughs> so I was uh, I was listening to uh, not listening. I was reading the book and I was thinking, oh wow. Uh, and and he had a, he had a grandma who had a assault a salty mouth just like my grandma from the south had a had a salty mouth and and would take no take no crap from anybody. Uh, but it was it was a good uh, it was a good book for what it was, and I would recommend it to you. And uh, one thing that I took away from it was that the more that somebody can understand, the earlier someone learns. Well, there's a lot from this book, right? And it's a good book. It's been out for a while. It got a lot of it's got a lot of press, a lot of play. Uh, but the, the younger that somebody feels like they have someone who supports them doesn't have to be a parent it can be a grandparent or you know a guardian or a sibling but the, the, that that is such a, a critical component of somebody's success in life and not just support but unconditional always there for you support uh, and, I, and I think when I think about what has been the biggest asset in my life the thing that has gone the most my way it's that I have a family a mom and dad and and brothers and, and a sister who, you know, we're a team, we're a unit. And I've had that support from a very young age. You know, I've had more than my fair share of lumps and setbacks and disappointments and everything else. Uh, but having somebody who invests in you and preferably having a few people, having a family that, you know, invests in you and unconditionally loves and supports you, that, that's, people talk about social science and how to deal with, uh, so many of the different problems confronting this country right now and the opioid epidemic. And I think you can draw a lot of, a lot of lines to early stage, uh, early stage development and, and people's childhoods and the way that they were supported or not by family or by a, a loved one. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's really the, that's the one thing that none of us can, can get by without. Uh, you, you need somebody who's on, or you you need it. You need a team. You need a family that is there for you. And it can be your adopted parents, could be a guardian, could be a, a sibling that that is just always there for you and takes care of you. But the, that was the one thing I took away from that book. So anyway, Hillbilly Elegy. I I would uh, recommend it to you. It's uh, it's well written and interesting stuff. Some people I I've, I spoke to a friend from Kentucky recently. She's like, it's a caricature. It's kind of unfair. But the guy doesn't say it's everybody. He's just saying, look, this was my experience. And I think it's very uh, heartfelt what he writes, at least. So uh, anyway, interesting book. And just want to share that with you. We'll come back here in just a few. Stay with me. Mugabe is out, everybody. One of the worst tyrants in the world, one of the worst heads of state and among the longest serving uh, at 37 years, almost four decades, this school teacher turned despot, Robert Mugabe, uh, crushed the people of Zimbabwe, destroyed the country's economy, as I've said, really erased it more than anything else. It almost ceased to have an economy, certainly by global standards. It did cease to have a currency. Think about that. It has the record for the highest inflation of all time. It was putting out $100 billion notes. 
Zimbabwe dollar notes at one point. It was among the worst ruled, worst governed places on planet Earth. And finally, today, the people of uh, Zimbabwe are jubilant, as they well should be. Now, I know Zimbabwe is on you know, the, the other side of the globe, and it's far away. And because of its incredible mismanagement and the, the suffering and, and the tyranny that has been inflicted on the people there, it's not a player in global politics or anything. So this isn't like when I talk to you about Russia, China, the Middle East, areas that have an immediate impact on the U.S. But I think for our purposes, as a show that talks a lot about freedom, and in fact, I view my goal here as much to be educating about freedom as it is freedom spreading. I think we got to celebrate this. I think we should all be quite pleased and take a moment to uh, say a prayer and uh, send a high five from far away to the people of Zimbabwe who now finally have a chance. Now, I'm not sure the government's going to be much better. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I know it really can't be worse. But this is also a story that Americans, that the whole world should really know. We should remember the tyrants and we should celebrate their fall. We should remember them because the same ploys and the same lies, whether it's statists in sub-Saharan Africa who use collectivist rhetoric and whipping up the emotions of a crowd in order to impose their iron fist on the people. Or statists here or in Europe, people who say that the government should be in control of all things and all aspects of your life. The government can do a better job running the economy than you can. The government can do a better job making determinations about your day-to-day -day life. In fact, they will just take that authority away from you. They'll take it out of your hands. Thank you very much. That's the way that they approach it. Tyranny while it has different flavors all over the world, has the same basic recipe. The eradication of individual rights and the subservience of the individual to the collective. The collective as defined by, people will say, by either a, a group or an individual, depends on whether we're talking about a revolutionary communist regime, for example, or an autocracy. But as somebody who has... Uh, spent quite a bit of time reading about autocracies. That is a an intellectual fascination of mine. I can tell you that autocrats always have an inner circle that is essential for their rule. Doesn't matter how iron fisted. It doesn't matter how top down the uh, governance is. They need intelligence chiefs and military officers. They need generals and and sometimes even business people to be going along with them in this whole process. So it's always a cabal. There may be one at the top of the pyramid, but it's a pyramid that has other individuals who are a part of it as well, a pyramid of oppression. And here in Zimbabwe, we see the end of Mugabe's rule. Uh, people were cheering in the streets. There are people crying. And the quotes, I mean, go and read it. I mean, it's whether we're talking about those who have come to America to escape Cuban tyranny, those who have come to America to escape uh, tyranny in the former Soviet Union and in Eastern Europe. It's an important reminder for all of us that human freedom is a fragile thing and needs to be defended. We have to maintain vigilance. 
And no matter who you are, no matter where you are in the world, whether it's here at home in America, in Europe, or in Southern Africa, or in the Far East, human freedom is a beautiful thing. And I hope that the people of Zimbabwe are able to get their first real taste of it now after one of the worst dictators of the last 50 years is finally shown the door. So a good news story for all of you listening. We'll get into some Team Buck Speaks coming up here in just a few. Stay with me. Man, I only have one more show with you guys before the Thanksgiving holiday. It's kind of a bummer. I mean, Thanksgiving will be great. I am making Brussels sprouts that have pancetta. I may even do a balsamic reduction because that's right. Buck Brussels hard. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, I will miss all of you, although I'll be in tomorrow. So we'll have another live show tomorrow. Thanksgiving show. Hoping to take lots of calls. Then we'll be off for the holiday. We'll do a best of show. So if you want to listen to some Buck Sexton while you are uh, basting your turkey or uh, mashing your potatoes or whatever else you got going on, by all means, uh, we will be on the air with a, a best of show on Thursday. And then I'm not sure if Friday we have a guest host or it will be a best of. But after that, until the Christmas holiday, we're going to be here live with you every day, of course. Uh, so with that little bit of business uh, put aside, I will get into some Team Buck Speaks. This is going to be more of the Team Buck Speaks email edition. Remember, if you want to send us your thoughts via email, officialteambuck at gmail.com. That's officialteambuck at gmail.com. Love it when you write. Tell me your thoughts. I have taken so many segments uh, that were suggestions from you and and put them on air, uh, done so much research and issued corrections and all kinds of stuff on the show because of you, because of my wonderful listeners and your fantastic ideas and insights and knowledge. So official team buck at Gmail. And with that, here we go. This one coming into the email address from Louise. I listen to your program on podcast during the day while I am working It is the best part of my day. I am from the Metro Detroit area. Just so you know, we hear you in Michigan. Well, Luis, thank you so much and uh, very much appreciate your kind words. And I'm glad to be able to, you know, put some fun into your day and hopefully drop some knowledge. So please keep listening and spread the word up there in Michigan. Howdy, team. Uh, This is Mark in Kansas City, who's an OSS member. Original Squad Saturday, which is OSS. That means that there are people that listen to the show that have been listening to me for five years now, guys. Isn't that amazing? It'll be five years in March that I started the Saturday show at the Blaze Radio Network and then moved on to the weekday show and then fill in for Glenn Rush and Sean and then made my way to Premier Networks with my show now. Uh, The Buck Sexton Show. So uh, thank you so much for being original Saturday Squad. And here is what Mark writes. Recently, I was in Charles de Gaulle or Charles de Gaulle Airport. Charles de Gaulle, mais oui, bien sûr, monsieur. uh, Waiting for uh, waiting to board my flight when I saw a person carrying Hillary's book. I just couldn't help myself and a loud screechy. What happened? Escaped. Darn it, Buck. Uh, Much to my shock, two army gents boarding another flight at a nearby gate 
busted out laughing and shouted, Shields high, brother, back at me as they disappeared through the doors. Best airport experience ever. All my best to Amy and Tyrone. Uh, that is amazing, Mark. That is one of my all-time favorite Team Buck messages. So thank you so much for that. I mean, that goes up there with the Marine who was uh, training fellow Marines out at 29 Palms and said that their, their, uh, their training battle cry, so to speak, was shields high. So that's awesome. Thank you. You have completely made my day, Mark. He also wrote best to uh, all my best to Amy and Tyrone. And then he said, P.S. If you and Miss Molly ever want to get away to northern France, I have a vacation home you are welcome to use. Well, Mark, you are the man, sir. And uh, thank you so much for your incredibly generous offer and for literally making my day, uh, which you did with this email. So really, really appreciate it. Uh, Ryan writes in, hey, Buck, I'm writing from Iraq. My team and I never miss your show. We don't do the social media thing, but we listen on your website. But I've been listening to you since the Saturday show, original Saturday squad, OSS, and recommend you every time someone brings up politics. Keep up the good work. Hands down, you're the best source of accurate and honest information available. You have a huge following percentage wise in the private security contractor world. I did four tours, three in Iraq, one in Afghanistan as a grunt and advisor in the Marines. And now I basically live over here working. Me and my guys love your show. Recommendation for a history deep dive, the Battle of Bolu Wood. Uh, well, first of all, Ryan, thank you for your service. And, and again, you've made, this is another phenomenal email. You and Mark have completely made my day. Uh, there is nothing I take more pride in in the show that I do, the research that I put into it, and the effort that goes into this show day in and day out, which, look, it's, it's, I'll tell you all, it, it's harder than anything else in media. Doing a three-hour solo radio show in terms of energy, in terms of upfront research, uh, it's, it's different. Yeah, writing requires a lot of research, too, but writing is on your own schedule, and it's not performance-based. It's not timed. It's not live. Uh, so this is quite an endeavor, but I love it. And when I hear from all of you, any of you listening to the show, but especially those of you who are downrange and that this show uh, has meaning to you and that it is something that keeps you informed and that you appreciate what I'm doing here in the hut every day, uh, there, there is no greater honor, honestly. And uh, it is a source of tremendous pride for me. And on days when I have had to come in and do this show, Gosh, I've done this show after um, tough days in my personal life. I've had to do this show after a couple of nasty, nasty uh, breakups over the last five years or so. One in particular. I have done this show when I was so sick that I wasn't even sure I could get out of bed. Um, and, you know, I'm, look, I'm not trying to complain about it. I'm just saying that I always am honored to come in here and do the show. And it's because... It, it means a lot to me that it means something to all of you out there and that there are folks downrange, men and women who are serving, contractors, uh, military, State Department, any of the above. Your emails, guys, it, it just, uh, it means, it really means the world to me. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a loss for words. So thank you so much, Ryan. Please do spread the word to all your guys out there. Uh, tell them that I'm honored. Tell them that I thank them for their service and I, I will do the best darn show that I can so I keep them as informed and entertained as I can. All right. Uh, Daniel writes in, Mr. Sexton, thank you for your consistently great, thoughtful, and insightful show. 
I do enjoy your digressions into history, dogs, and other topics beyond the political. Shortly after discovering your radio show locally this summer, uh, broadcast via KQNT 590 AM, I had the first ever opportunity to participate in a week-long Nielsen radio survey. I was especially pleased to be able to document that I was an audience uh, member of your show in its entirety for the time period of the survey, as I do not do Facebook or Twitter and thus cannot demonstrate support for those vehicles. Thank you for your work and shields high, Daniel. Well, Daniel, thank you, because anybody out there who is a Nielsen survey person on radio, uh, you're able to really help a lot, um, because if you're listening to my show a lot and you can show that via the Nielsen ratings, that matters. It matters in this radio industry tremendously, and it helps keep things going here because uh, this is a business, and advertisers want to know how big the audience is. That's also why those of you who listen to the podcast, we see those numbers every month. We have hundreds of thousands. I mean, we're going to be getting up to a million soon of downloads on a monthly basis of this show. So that means a lot, too. So don't think that if you listen on delay or you're a podcast listener, you're not pitching in and helping out uh, because you absolutely are. Uh, but thank you, Daniel, for helping out on Nielsen. That is particularly, uh, particularly helpful. Um, all right. Amy writes in, uh, hey, Buck, you wanted to know who has chow chows? Martha Stewart has a pile of them like Queen Elizabeth and her corgis, except fluffier. I almost got bitten by a chow chow once. I sat on some steps with my back too near its food dish the owner luckily rescued me before it chow-chowed on me. <laughs> Get a soft-coated Wheaton Terrier. They are entertaining, very cuddly, and have hair and are a medium-to-large-sized dog. No fur might help because it makes them more hypoallergenic. If that doesn't work, allergy shots for Molly. I'm three years into mine. It takes dedication, but is totally worth it. Amy. Well, Amy, thank you, first of all, for your funny story about Martha Stewart and the chow-chows. She has a reputation for not being very nice. Shh. So the fact that she would have chow chows, which are basically fluffy attack dogs, they're like uh, Rottweilers with big fur coats. And I know Rotties can be nice. Uh, but anyway, um, thank you for your notes about chow chows. I do appreciate it. And here we go. Next up on the list, Docs. Uh, oh, not Doc. It's not an email from a Dachshund. Daniel writes, Dachshunds are indeed a waste of good oxygen. I grew up in a similar situation to Scott's story you read on Thursday. Neighbors had two carpet sharks that would bark nonstop. We had a sweet old Rottweiler, here you go, who just ignored them. I spent five years as a cop and had to deal with a lot of pit bulls. As a rule, they were sweet, and I wish I could have adopted several. But the only dog that ever bit me was a dachshund. Evil little dogs. I told you guys, they're carpet sharks. It's true. Love the history deep dives. It's a nice escape from politics. I'd recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, a deep dive request for more Cross and Crescent, Shields High, and remember, it's all in the reflexes. Great, great Jack Burton quote ending Daniel's letter there from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And yeah, no, Dan Carlin does great stuff. I listened to some of his podcasts years ago. So um, yeah, I'm planning more deep dives. They're coming, guys. The deep dives are coming. I mean, it is now... The bosses expect them at Premiere, so it's happening. The history deep dives are happening. I'm in process right now for setting up a schedule for them. They're going to be separate from the show, and it's just going to be up to all of you to download them and also to spread them to friends. People who don't like politics, they'll like these deep dives, I hope. If they care about history and storytelling, they should like the Cross versus Crescent series. Uh, Bill J. writes in, 
Buck, instead of a pure breed, a mixed breed from a rescue shelter makes for a healthy and happy pooch. We have three and they are the best. Happy Thanksgiving from uh, from Bill and from Mississippi. Well, Bill, happy Thanksgiving to you. And yeah, mixed breeds are great. Miss Molly, her family has a mixed pit bull boxer and she and she loves she loves that dog. So uh, trust me, I am uh, very aware of the, the benefits, but I appreciate the reminder about rescue dogs and rescue shelter dogs. All right, team, we've got more emails we'll hit tomorrow. Also, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We'll get into some of those. If you've been thinking about calling in tomorrow during the show, we'll leave the lines open the whole show. So if you want to give us a ring and chat with the team here, if you even have uh, some thoughts for Amy or Tyrone in in particular, you can uh, let us know. Uh, Please do give us a ring and we'll have a little bit of a Thanksgiving, a little bit of a Thanksgiving Freedom Hut Festival tomorrow. So it'll be a lot of just different stuff we throw together. A lot of your calls. I'm looking forward to it. We'll have some fun. So please do join tomorrow and uh, happy Thanksgiving a couple of days in advance. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Shields high.